Cut, 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 cut. Hold on. Um, there's something going on with this scene that's just not quite right. What's there's something the... about your face. What there's about my just, face? Just doesn't have that Hollywood star quality. Yeah, I've been directing here for a long time, and it's just the face. Could we get the other guy in here? Yes, you. You guys yeah. had this guy just ready? Just yeah, him. Security, could you, could you get this guy? Yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah. And security. Could we get the whoever this whoever this guy is, let's get him out of here. That doesn't even make sense. Yeah, yes. Yes, I I like that a lot. And action. Great turnout. Awesome. All right. I see, I see a lot of very close friends here. I see some family members that have come from out of town. I see some wizards, some lizards. Uh, yeah, that's you, Chris. <laughs> um, let's see. We got some people in the treehouse. Mom, I know you. You're probably going to want to find a seat. Um, we, got a, we got a half pipe over there you can sit on if you want. <laughs> So this is, um, <laughs> that's her brother that just yelled. Um, all right, so I'm McArdle is what I go by on our radio show. My name's Christian. This is my cohort, Ellison. Hello. And we have a show together. Uh, some of you probably know it. Some of you have been on it. It's called Back Pocket. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, I wish we got that many listeners every week. <laughs> um, yeah, well, we have been doing this show for about four months. Four months, and it's it's funny because Christian and I weren't like super tight friends before this, but we kind of just took this on and we became really really good friends. So um, here we are. We when the first time we entered this space, we said that we had to do something with it, and I'm all about storytelling, sir. So now. Here we are. Everyone's here, and all our friends and families here, and it's gonna be a great night. Yeah. And before we start, I'd just like to give a, a massive thank you to um, to Noel, who sort of runs this space and built a lot of it. So if we could give a round of applause for Noel. Yeah. And for Ariel working the bar, he's the man pouring your drinks tonight. He has a heavy hand, so you're probably gonna get drunk. Um, yeah, so I guess I'll introduce our first storyteller. No, no, let's pull a uh, secret. Oh, good call. Yes. Yeah, and that's why Ellison is a great partner, because he remembers all the important bits. So, uh, let's see. Good choice. <laughs> you want to grab one, too? Oh, should I do one? Yeah, it's both one. Okay. I'll do one. Wow, okay. So this one is from XOXO Gossip Girl. Sometimes I think I'm in a coma from an earlier overdose and fear that everything I see is a figment of my imagination. <clears throat> okay, here's, here's one. One time, I went to the neighbor's fish, t fish tank and took all their fish and put them in mine. <laughs> this is a twofer. Here's another one. One time in middle school, I, hide, I hid my teacher's 
soat soap seat i hid my teacher's seat and she fell and got stuck under the desk she never knew it was me that's great yeah um so christian is going to introduce the next uh storyteller with a story so here he is all right so five years ago i'm packing my backpack because i'm on my way to south america and so that means I'm 18 at the time. Uh, my little brother is 11 years old and in sixth grade. And we've shared a room our entire lives together. And he comes up to me as I'm packing my backpack. And he has this look on his face and I know something's coming. And he says, Christian, um, can I ask you a question? I say, yeah, sure. And I'm pretty vulnerable right now because I'm going to South America for a year and I'm not gonna see my family for a really long time, so I'd say yes to pretty much anything at this point. Um, and he looks at me and he says, I'm getting a hamster. <laughs> and I go, okay, that's not a question. <laughs> and you've also been fighting with mom about that for the last two weeks, and last I heard, you're definitely not getting a hamster. And he goes, yeah, but that's the thing. He goes, you're 18, and you can borrow the car. I have all the money saved up. Can you take me to PetSmart and buy me the hamster? He goes, it'll be a secret from mom and dad. And I like pause and I look at him and I go, get in the car. <laughs> so we get in the car and we go to PetSmart and I have not seen my brother this excited since we went and bought the turtle that he almost killed the previous year. <laughs> it took him a really long time to pick out the hamster that he actually wanted, but he finally settles on this really small sort of runt hamster. It's all black with white little paws. And he immediately knows what he wants to name it. He goes, this is Lionel Richie. <laughs> I go, what the fuck, Lionel Richie? <laughs> like, that sounds pretty racist, black hamster, Lionel Richie. But like this 11 year old literally really liked Lionel Richie and that's why he named him that. Um, and so we get Lionel Richie and we go to the cash register to check out and like classic 11 year old just pulling out all these one and five dollar bills that have gone through the wash a few times like handfuls of change this amalgam of u.s currency <laughs> that takes you know forever to sort out and finally pay for the damn thing and it only comes out to 70 dollars and the hamster ends up costing about double that and i'm there I'm headed to South America, and I've worried, we have the hamster there, so I'm like, all right, let's just, let's just do this. I'm gonna pay the rest. And then she pulls out the adoption sheet, and on the adoption sheet it says, oh, you are liable for this hamster's life, and it's very sentimental and well-written, and you need to be responsible for this animal. And I'm looking at the sheet, and you know that couldn't be further from the truth because I'm headed to South America that week, 3,000 miles away, and I'm giving it to an 11-year-old, a negligent 11-year-old at that. <laughs> but I sign it confidently and pay for it, and we you know, get it in the Prius, get it home, and we have three landmines to dodge because my dad, mother, and grandmother are all at the house. We have to sneak in the back door, get into our bedroom, lock the door, and I look at him and I go, well, fuck, now what? <laughs> And he goes, all right, well, I got it all figured out. Okay. Takes me into the closet. And you know that little bit in the closet where you hang your jackets and there's sort of that cubby spart behind the jackets? Well, to his credit, I don't know how he figured it out, but 
it fit perfectly. The hamster cage, the little uh, water bottle, the food, all of it, the little ball. I mean, it, it fit. It was like, yeah, it was beautiful. Except for the fact that a closet gets zero natural light and it's probably the worst place for a living animal. Um, and fair enough, like an 11-year-old didn't think of that. But I'm 18 and going to live in a foreign country independently for a year. Like I should have thought that that was a bad idea, but I didn't. Instead, I looked at him and said, oh, yeah, good idea. All right, let's put it in there. And let's throw a tapestry over it, too, so no one finds out. <laughs> and so <laughs> we set Lionel Richie up in, in the cupboard with the tapestry over it. It's pretty much invisible. Um, I go to South America, fast forward a few weeks. Um, I'm on a routine Skype call back home, the whole family's in. And, you know, we're talking about sort of the mundane things that you talk about when you're in a different country, Skyping your parents back home. How's the food? Oh, what, are your, what are the people like that you're living with? Have you met a girl? Have you kissed anyone yet? How's grandma doing back home? What are you having for dinner in America? And among sort of these like mundane routine things, my mother brings up, well, you know, the house, something's off. There's this really terrible smell that's developed in the house and it's really bothering me and I don't know what it is. It smells like something's dead in the attic. I've totally forgot about Lionel Richie at this point. I'm like, oh, wow, that's weird, huh? Fuck, sorry. Until I see my little brother's face in the corner of the Skype screen and he's doing one of these, like, no, don't say anything. So I don't, I like, I, you know, I hold it back. I don't say anything. We end the call. Two weeks later, back on Skype. And, you know, the same sort of thing goes on. And then my mom brings up the smell again. The smell's gotten worse, Christian. It's really, it's consuming me. It's terrible. I've had two different pest guys come out to look. They've searched the entire attic and behind the walls of our house. And they haven't found so much as a dead fly. There's nothing. No one knows where this smell's coming from, but it's bad. In fact, it's so bad, she says, that your little brother who gets headaches from incense has started lighting incense in his room every single day. <laughs> Swear to God. And now I'm like desperately trying not to just burst into laughter on this Skype call, but I hold it back for my brother, of course. I don't say anything. We hang up the call, and well, a week later, I get onto Skype, and I have a missed call from home. And below it is a message, like a typed message, that says, you're in trouble, mom. <laughs> well, I wasn't in trouble. Um, my mom actually thought it was hilarious. She had a really good sense of humor about the whole thing and thought it was really funny the next day um, the next day, the hamster was also donated. <laughs> um, but sort of the legend lives on, and now anytime there's like a funky, weird smell in the house, like the go-to line is, we'll check Liam's closet. <laughs> um, so with, with this story, I introduce the first official storyteller of the night. Um, my best friend my cohort, and my confidant for all of my deepest secrets, my brother, Liam McArdle-Hankin. Uh, uh, right. Thank you. <laughs> Damn. All right. uh, so, uh, yeah, as Christian said, that was five years ago. 
So I'm actually 17 right now. So if anybody wants to take me to PetSmart after this, I'm on that chinchilla fever. <laughs> but <laughs> but uh, my story, my secret story actually takes place not five years ago, but three months ago. It was Valentine's Day, February the 14th. And I took, got a bus up to SF to spend the weekend with my brother. And I was super confident that I was gonna have a great weekend because Christian and his friends built up this Valentine's party. And this college party, I'm the high school student, you know? <laughs> and uh, so yeah, I was stoked, getting ready. We we're getting ready at his house. And I decided to come up with the alter ego that I'm a, a freshman at a community college in Sacramento. So I tell him, hey, if anybody asks, I community college Sacramento. And, you know, because everybody there is a college student, I thought it was the only way I could, like, fit in. And my brother looks at me and he goes, no, okay, if you're going to do this, you're going to commit. You're a sophomore at Berkeley. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I went along with it. It, uh, it later backfired on him, though, because at the party, everybody thought I was the smarter brother. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, damn. but nevertheless, it worked out. Nobody second-guessed it. I, was, I committed fully. I was telling everybody from like random girls who were potential poles that I was a sophomore at Berkeley <laughs> to even like my brother's closest friends who have already met me. I like still told them. But, <laughs> so we're at this party, and things are going great. I'm the sophomore at Berkeley. I got my chest puffed out, you know? I'm feeling good. And I, I make eye contact with this girl across the room or whatever. And uh, I walk over, and I don't even know how it ended up happening, but I ended up reciting poetry for her. It was, yeah, yeah, Valentine's, I don't know. It was Mingus at the Showplace by Williams Matthew. And uh, it works. She digs it. And we're vibing hard. So I get, I get the directions up to the, the rooftop by my brother, and I take her up there. And it's just, we end up having this great Valentine's Day kiss on the roof in San Francisco. And I'm still the sophomore at Berkeley. <laughs> Actually, now that I think about it, it's not really a secret story. It's more of a blatant lie story. But, <laughs> but uh, anyway, so yeah, so we, we end up spending the party together. It's great. And uh we say goodbye. The next morning, I have nothing to lose, so I sh shoot her a text, and we end up meeting at Dolores Park, her and her friends and my brother and I. And we're at Dolores Park, and before she arrives, I look at my brother and say, hey, man, I got to come clean. And he's like, well, if that's what you got to do, then whatever, tell the truth. So she comes, and about 10 minutes in, she looks over and asks me, so how often do you visit from Berkeley? And I say, well... The thing is, <laughs> I don't go to Berkeley. I go to a place called Oak Ridge. And she's like, Oak Ridge, what is that? Like a private liberal arts school? <laughs> and I was like, no. And she's community college? No, it's a high school. <laughs> and 
At this point, her f- face goes flat, and she, like, actually does not believe me. She thinks I'm joking, but then she, like, picks up on my emotion and realizes how I'm feeling cheap and deflated at this point. So she knows I'm telling the truth. And it gets kind of awkward, and she starts questioning me. So, like, what, you're in high school senior? Junior. (laughs) So, so you're 18, right? 17. When did you turn 17? February 11th. That was three days ago. <laughs> so it gets pretty awkward. I kind of like lose all my confidence. And uh, we end up saying goodbye. And Christian and I uh, end up going to grab a bite to eat on Valencia. And uh, I'm not really feeling good about things. Like the way things were settled just didn't feel right. So I decided to like consult with my texting agent. Like, hey man, we gotta like come up with the master text. So it takes us about 30 minutes. <laughs> and so I send the text to Emma and it, it reads, sorry I had to lie, but I would do it again. Last night was fun. <laughs> and about, about 10 minutes goes by and with each minute, I'm, like, feeling more anguish, like she's never going to text back. But then the phone vibrates. And before even reading it, Christian and I start going crazy on Valencia. And all, all the techie geeks are, like, giving us dirty looks. <laughs> but, and then I open it, and I read it. And it reads, ha-ha, no worries. What are you doing tonight? <laughs> Give it up to Liam. Great story, Liam. Uh, Let's pull another secret. I'm going to go first this time. Okay, here is another secret. I had a crazy porn addiction at age eight. (laughs) Listen, listen. I had a crazy porn addiction at age eight. I'm a lady in black in this room. Yikes. Greg feeds me meat sometimes, and we both pretend we forget that I'm a vegetarian. (laughs) 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 These are so fun, we're going to do more. (laughs) I've fallen in love with a secret lover. I took acid and plucked the fruit from the forbidden tree, (laughs) and now its taste won't leave my tongue. That's so weird. I regularly eat multiple cans of Vienna sausages past 2 a.m. in the morning. 
All right, so now my good friend Ellison is going to introduce our next official storyteller, but first he has a story of his own. Give a round of applause for Ellison. I feel like if you're talking about secrets, you always have to talk about family because secrets and family always have like a weird relationship. Um, you can either, it has like a range, right? With like honesty, with like, with, with parents especially. Like you can be in one end where you're like really honest with your, with your parents and you talk to them about your sex life and, and every lover that you've ever had. Or you can be in the other end like me where I don't say anything to my, to my mom or dad. My mom still thinks I go to church every Sunday and I, I really don't. Um, so I am sixth of six children, and um, by that time, my um, parents kind of got not very creative with naming me. My name is Ellison Luis Ramos Libiran. Ellison Libiran is my father's father, and Luis Ramos is my mother's father. And um, I never got to meet Ellison. Um, he died before I can remember him, but I got to meet Luis Ramos. And this guy was a superhero to me growing up. You see, um, when, uh, uh, when he graduated high school, instead of uh, getting handed a, a diploma, he was given a, a pistol, because this was during around World War II, and um, the Philippines was a battleground for Japan and America during this time. So my grandfather fought in a, a guerrilla force that helped liberate his town. So he stayed in his town and became a you know, small town hero um, when he, uh, he, when he grew up, he started working at this, uh, sugar plantation, and because of his, like, great work ethic and great personality, he became a director, a very young director of the, the company, and, um, with more good work, someone suggested that he should be a mayor, so he ran for, um, uh, to be the mayor of Balayan, and he was for 31 years, and, um, he, he loved everyone, and he was so nice and charismatic, and uh, he built a high, a high school called Balayan National High School, um, and then after he died, uh, the high school found out that he was paying the teachers with his own money and uh, from the salary that he got from uh, the sugar plantation and everything. So totally, to total hero. Um, what else? He was... Uh, he dressed really well. Uh, he had custom tailored shirts that he, uh, yeah, um, custom tailored shirts that he like wore. Like he only buttoned it up until the the, the bottom of his chest, so his his chest is always out. <laughs> he had uh, jet black slick back hair that I'm trying to like you know redo again, um, and um, he inspired my brother to become a fashion designer. It's uh, it's great. And then. Um, uh, in, in the 90s, he was, he was running um, for, for mayorship, his last term, and I was there for it. And I was so excited because I, I got to pass out flyers promoting my, my grandfather. So I was in the, the uh, busiest part of town, and I was this little seven-year-old boy passing out fly flyers saying, vote for Ramos, vote for Ramos. But no one was taking my flyer, and I was so frustrated because I wanted to make him proud. So I threw it on the ground like a little brat, and this old woman comes up to me, picks up all my flyers, and starts laughing. She goes, no one's taking your flyers because we're all voting for Ramos already. 
and he and then I, you know I tell her that I'm I'm his grandson and everyone gets really excited and this crowd forms around me and my siblings and uh, they were telling uh, stories legendary stories about my grandfather including my favorite one there's a bank robbery happening at a local PNB the Philippine National Bank and um, it was very exciting that nothing ever happens in Balayan it's a very small town and uh, my grandfather wanted a piece of that action. So he bravely walked in to the bank, talks to these robbers, and he finds out they're poor out-of-towners. He takes out his wallet, throws it at one of the guys, and casually sits down, and he goes, take whatever is in my wallet, leave your guns, and leave my town like a badass. <laughs> so total, total hero material, right? Like just such a great man, but uh, sometimes it's just hard to ignore the truth. So when my, when my grandfather died, there was a, a wake that was held at the high school that he built. And um, my, I couldn't go uh, but my, my mom and, and my dad and my, my aunt and uncles were all there uh, moderating the whole thing. Um, my mom notices this, this woman crying hard, really, really hard, um, screaming almost. Um, my mom felt compelled to talk to her, so she walks up to her and goes, thanks, thanks, her, thanks her for coming, and goes, I am Luis Ramos's daughter. Um, who are you? And the lady that was crying, that is about my age, 25, she goes, oh, ma'am, I am his daughter, too. And throughout the day, my, par my parents, my mom, and her siblings figure out that my grandfather had a mistress, a son, sons, daughters, girlfriends. And we knew that my grandparents' uh, marriage was rocky, and in the Philippines, you don't really divorce anyone. You kind of just separate, but we didn't know it was to this extent. <laughs> I, I got, like, a really uneasy feeling hearing about this because this guy was my hero. But I really don't think we should think of our heroes as this perfect person. Instead, like, as a whole, you know? So when... when when my, uh, when my mom was doing all the inheritance and everything, she got a long list of people that my grandfather left land and money for, including my new extended family. Thank you. Uh, there, there's going to be another family story, and the next storyteller is um, a really good friend of mine. I met her at um, a community college, and it was such a pleasure to introduce this, uh, this person. Um, she did storytelling for the Asian Art Museum, so she is really good. <laughs> um, Lalita. <laughs>
actually that good. Very nervous. <laughs> I have a very specific ritual that I do at the Asian Art Museum, but that's in like the privacy of a bathroom, so I'll hold off. Um, I too have a family story. It's not about a Batman vigilante, amazing mirror man, but um, it's simple. My family has a lot of secrets. Um, and it's not like a crazy murderous past. It's more like we tell lies and these <laughs> lies become storylines and these storylines dictate everything we do. And we feel like we need to keep these big burdens. But everybody knows. So they're not really secrets, but we think they are. So we keep hiding them. We keep pretending that it's this big deal that we have to hold on to the secret information. But like everybody knows, everybody knows, like the village knows, like the neighboring village knows. And it's one of these very meticulously calculated, poorly kept secrets that my parents' love story was born out of. And it's my favorite story to tell because it's very sweet. And when Ellison first asked me about doing this, it was the first thing I thought of. So my parents come from neighboring villages in South India. And by neighboring, they're like a day and a half by train because the trains don't really run every day. So my mom's mom, my maternal grandmother, um, was arranged to be married to a man when she was nine years old. He was 11 years her senior and died when she was 19 in a motorcycle accident. So she raised my mother on her own in the estate that he left her. And all she really ever wanted was for my daughter to get married to a nice man. <laughs> like, that's it. She also uses that on me, like, every day. <laughs> You're 24. I got married at 9. <laughs> Sorry, Grandma. My dad's family is humongous and very poor and all they really wanted for all of their kids, mostly their sons because that's how it goes in India, is for all of them to be educated. And that's kind of where the stories intersect um, and that's where it all kind of takes place. So I don't know if it was peer pressure, family pressure, weird self-sense of pressure that my grandmother decided that at some point she can't just take care of my daughter and run this giant estate and be happy. And so she sends out a message to the village and to the neighboring village that she, uh, she needs some help run the house. Have a guy, an able-bodied gentleman, to help her run to the city when she needs things, to help her take care of the land, to help her like with her finances, um, so she can focus on my mother. And so my father's family, taking full advantage, was like, one able-bodied man will send you two. What do we get? and so she offers to pay for their education. Of course, this makes my dad's family ecstatic. So they send over my father and his older brother, and um, his older brother, my favorite uncle, made it very clear from the get-go that they were to act as the big savior brothers of my mom's life. And they tried that, but my parents became friends the way that kids do, where they met in the yard and threw things at each other, and he chased her around the house, and. It was very pure and innocent and perfect, and it's the perfect way that friendships start. And then at some point, as they started growing older, they fell in love. And it's adorable, but I think deep down, because they were expecting this weird idea of like, oh, we're supposed to get arranged to be married the way our parents were, we're not allowed to be together. So they kept it hidden. But it's kind of dumb to keep it hidden when you live in the same house as the person that you're dating. I don't think they really thought it through. So when they went to secret movies together 
and watch these movies and the movies had songs that they used as lullabies for us when we were kids they didn't tell anybody and then when they went out to dinner they didn't tell anybody but when you're gone at the same time and you come back at the same time and then you act like you don't know each other it's kind of fishy so my grandma totally knew what's up and my dad's oldest brother knew what's up and soon my dad's family knew what's up and because my parents my parents felt like they needed to keep this a secret they assumed that they would get torn apart like super bollywood style and like they'd never see each other again it would be this like huge torment and then they would be like singing to each other and then they would be like forlorn and with their new lovers like married in like distant lands and they would like secretly write to each other and they would like be truly in love forever from here on outwards but like the entire time my grandmother and my my parents um, my father's parents were planning their wedding and so it ended in happiness and there's really nothing to take away from the story it's just the fact that we're all just really bad at keeping secrets and we think that we are and we're not and so when my mom's like you're so bad at telling lies I'm like mom so are you <laughs> so thanks Thank you, Lalita, for that beautiful Indian rom-com. We're going to do um, more secrets? Yeah, let's do more secrets. If you want to buy a drink right now, now's your time. We're going to read secrets. We'll read a handful of them. So get up, stretch, grab a drink. We're just going to read secrets for a bit. And then, you know, take your seat and we'll uh, introduce the next storyteller. Also, if you guys have secrets, if the, the newcomers, if they have uh, secrets, you guys should pop it in. Yes, here we go. Yeah. Oh, I love it. Cool. You can just give it to me and I'll read it so everyone knows. <laughs> you go first. Oh, okay. This one, hmm. All right, let's see. A secret? Question mark. You want me to share my secret? What? Then it won't be my secret anymore. That is cheating. Whoever wrote that, please write another one right now. Um, I like to eat pot cookies at work, but only on Fridays, usually. Work ethics, I love it. Only on Fridays. Okay, we're taking a little turn here with this one. My secret desire is to try being a sex worker. To know what it's like and to live in a world for a day. I want to know how it feels to be naked and to be vulnerable for everyone to see. This kind of goes along with the last one. Once I masturbated in temple. And uh, we, we have a drawing, we have a drawing of a penis ejaculating over the Star of David. This one I am keeping. Great secrets, you guys. <laughs> People are doing yeah. so well right now. 
Oh, yes. Um, so whoever wrote that one, come see us. So for storytelling round two, we'll make sure you're a guest speaker. <laughs> All right. Um, when I was in elementary school, I wanted to be a graffiti artist. So I did some graffiti on a bench, but I didn't want to get caught. So I wrote Matthew Frontes on it. His full name. Matthew was the one that ended up getting suspended, and I never said anything. Horrible people. Are we doing more? People are buying drinks. Okay. Here we go. This one didn't. This one didn't get sealed. I am infatuated with Chris Brown. <laughs> How did this get in here? This is mine. You're listening to a storytelling event presented by Back Pocket here on BFF.FM. We have arrived at intermission, so I will play some music for you. This is Amerigo Gazaway with his rendition of Feel Good Incorporated.
when I first heard Bella. So I was in Damn, where was I? Seventh grade. Battling this other MC. I definitely see uh, a reflection of his music and a lot of the post-soul movement. That's why we gravitated towards him so much. You know, just his melodic structure, the way that he can make eight instruments, uh, play very small parts, but once put together, it was something so hypnotic and so powerful, it was undeniable. Usually most artists just stop at that, like, they just stop at the music and don't concentrate on anything else. I mean, this is a person whose music was just as strong as his lyrics was then just as strong as his lifestyle. But the dog in me. Why must I chase the cat? 
Well, all right. Start ya. Citizens of the universe. Recording angels. We have returned to claim the pyramid. Partying on the mothership. I am the mothership connection. Get down in 3D. Light year group. Well, all right. You hear the noise? Ain't nobody but me and the boy. Get down. Put a glide in your stride and a dip in your hip and come on to the mothership. Loose boot, doing the bump. Hustle on over here. Thank you. 
Welcome back. You are listening to Back Pocket here on BFF. At the top, we listen to Amerigo Gazaway with Feel Good Incorporated. Then we had George Clinton with Atomic Dog. After that was Parliament with Mothership Connection. Then Herbie Hancock with Watermelon Man. After that was Cut the Cake by the Average White Band. And right now we have John Coltrane with Summertime on the My Favorite Things album. We will continue the secret storytelling event, Secrets in the Alley. Here we go. All right. um, This next speaker, uh, another family member. And I swear this wasn't like nepotism, me picking all my family members to, um, to perform tonight. But this man spent years of his life, when he was about my age, 23, um, traveling the world, selling acres on the moon. Literally, yeah. It started in Berkeley, California. And he, he would sell these parcels, these acres on the moon, and he'd dress up in a moon suit. And it was really, I guess, you know, he was selling the moon theoretically, but it was like a comedy routine. He was an entertainer, and he still is, and I'm very excited that he's here to um, present to us tonight to tell his story. Uh, My uncle, Barry McArdle. Well, good evening. Uh, first of all, is there anybody out here besides myself with gray hair? Anybody? Please stand up. I feel good. Yeah, hey, there you go. All right. Um, you know, all I know is that I think when I leave here tonight, I think I'm going to go buy a hamster. I mean, that, that Liam Hankin, come on, give it up. That was a hell of a story. I mean, I mean, come on. I want to be 17 again. You know, Okay, well, you know, my nephew calls me, says, hey, Uncle Barry, can you come into San Francisco? I mean, I work in the city, but he says, can you come in on tonight and tell a story about a secret or whatever, you know? And I'm thinking, secret? What do you mean secret? And he's trying to lay it out to me. And I, so I start thinking, do I know any jokes at all, any jokes about, you know, secrets? Okay, so there's a kid, you know, and he, he reads somewhere where, hey, okay, hey, if you tell somebody, hey, I know your secret, you know, th- something good's going to happen. So he tells his dad, hey, dad, you know, I know your secret. The dad goes, holy shit, you know, hey, here, come here. Here's 10 bucks. Don't say a word, right? So the kid, hey, great, you know, so he thinks, hey, mom, I know your secret. Mom, oh, geez, hey, come here. Hey, here's 20 bucks. Don't say a thing. The kid, hey, this is, this is gravy, right? So next day, you know, the mailman shows up. He goes to the front door, and he goes, hey, you know what? I know your secret. The guy goes, you do? Oh, fantastic, son. Come here, give your dad a hug. Um, but, you know, you know, that got me thinking. Okay, that's the only joke I know about secrets. But, you know, that got me thinking about the idea that what is a secret and how does that affect people? You know, it not only affects the person that keeps the secret, but it affects every single person that the, that the secret affects. So in this case, in the joke case, obviously it affects the father. I mean, it affects the mother because she screwed the mailman. So she can't tell the husband. So the marriage itself is for shit. She can't tell her son. The son doesn't 
doesn't know who his father is. That's for shit. The father does, can't tell his own son, I'm your father. That's the shit. So what I'm saying is secrets are very dangerous things. And so you got to be careful. You got to be a little careful with the secrets you keep. Because in, in my mind, I think that the truth will set you free. And the truth, if you're keeping a secret, and, and most people say, well, I'm keeping the secret because I don't want to hurt somebody. But if you don't want to hurt that person over there, and yet it is bothering you because it is in some sense inside you, and it is holding you back from being the essence that you are, look, Every person has the right to live their life, but they don't have the right to live part of your life. And so if you have a secret, if you think it's going to hurt them, but it is also hurting you, tell the damn secret. Get it out. You need to live free. Now, of course, when I was your age, I didn't believe that. So that's up to you. My story tonight, however, has to do with a secret that we decided not to keep. This is a true story. I'm in England. I've just graduated from college. I'm with my best friend. Name is David Backus. We go to England. We're staying with his aunt and uncle. It's his 21st birthday night. Two days before, we get a package in the mail from a friend of ours from the United States, and inside, there's LSD. And this LSD, this LSD is in powdered form. And there is, I don't know, all kinds of instructions on how to take the LSD. <laughs> I decide for the first time, and I, honestly, I don't know why, I decide not to take it. My friend David Backus, whose birthday it was, 21st birthday night, he decides to take it. He takes it. I'm going to tell you now what we didn't know until later after rereading the directions. He took four times the hit. So, okay, so he takes the hit, and we are invited to a party with his aunt and uncle to this, uh, you know, get-together, and we're invited in, and so now we're in the back of the car, and he took the acid about 30, 45 minutes ago, so he's coming on. He's in the back seat, we're together, we're driving up to the party, and all of a sudden, my friend David, he just, he just sort of talks out, he goes, oh, it's dark outside, and, you know, the guy driving, uh, the uncle of David, he goes, uh, oh, 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 that's right. You're, you're, you're a product of the American uh, uh, college system. Yeah, it gets dark every 12 hours. I mean, it happens all the time. And so I, I tell David, hey, David, shut the fuck up. What are you doing? I mean, I'm whispering to him, quiet down. Don't say anything. Just quiet. And David, don't yell at me. I go, David, I'm not yelling. I'm not yelling. And then David says, well, I'm glad it's dark because I won't stare at the sun. And the uncle, the guy driving goes, what do you mean you won't stare at the sun? And David goes, well, yeah, I've heard that if you stare at the sun, you can go blind. Yeah, no shit, David. You can go blind if you stare at the sun. So we end up getting to this party, and I'm thinking, I've got to protect this guy. We get there, and this is, I'll never forget, I mean, we open the door, these beautiful glass doors, and there's about 12 or 13 people there, and there, you go in and you introduce, in England, you introduce the, all the hosts and the people who are throwing the party, and we're shaking hands, and David is right behind me, and I'm shaking hands, but I'm listening to everything David's saying, because I know he's, you know, he's, he, he's on acid, for Christ's sake, so... 
anyway, the one woman, the hostess of the party, she says, oh, it's the American lads. She goes, oh, are you going to be entertaining us tonight because we had done a little entertaining before? And David says, uh, oh, yeah, I think we will. He says, I hope you've forgiven us by now. And I'm thinking, God, what a beautiful, what a beautiful statement. This guy is more together on acid than I am straight. I mean, he's telling the English people, hey, I hope you've forgiven us for the last time we entertained you. I'm thinking, this, well, big deal. I can leave this guy. He's okay. I go in. The guy says, hey, do you want a drink? Yeah, gin and tonic. What else in England? So I'll never forget. Here comes the drink. I can actually see to this moment, to this absolute moment, here comes this cocktail. It, ice, drink, I see the drip of water dripping down the glass. I go to grab the glass. I never, I never connect with that glass. In that instant, between the time my hand reaches out for that glass and the time I grab it, I hear this shattering of glass. Glass is flying through the room. And I look, and I see David. He's moving across like glass like this. And his elbow is going, and he is shattering this glass. And I look out and I say, David, he's running in the yard. I go, David, did you see who did it? And the guy at the top of the stairs goes, he bloody well did it. In any event, I run out. We go through the uh, English countryside. When I finally catch up to him, I go, David, what in the hell? What are you doing? He goes, I don't know what I did. There's vampires there. I saw vampires. <laughs> no, no. He saw vampires, and he thought that we were bringing him to be somehow bitten or brought into this, <laughs> this coven of vampires. And uh, a couple girls standing on the street. They're coming home from the grocery store. It's about 10 o'clock at night. He runs up to them. I try to stop him. No way. He grabs the grocery bag, and he goes, what's in here? And he grabs a carton of milk, and he dumps it out, and he goes, the devil's liquid. And he pours yeah, the liquid, the milk out on the street. And she goes, no, that's just me groceries. You know, we move on. I mean, I won't go into everything that happened that night. But there's a guy who's working on his car. He runs in and he says, you've got to call the police. He goes, I don't, this is David. I don't know what I'm going to do. He says, I could do anything. He says, and, and I say, oh, you know, we're new here. We're Americans. You know, your, your beer is a little stronger. I mean, we don't know, you know. And he goes, oh, yeah, that's right. David runs into the house, into this guy's house. Now, this is like 11 o'clock at night. We're running into some strange person's house. And there's the kids, the mom. They're watching TV. We run in, and here are these two crazy wild guys. And David goes, I don't know what I'm going to do. Somebody call the police. <laughs> so I, I get him out of there. I get him out of there. And we run. And absolutely true story at midnight we end up in a graveyard i swear to god this is a true story we end up in a graveyard and i'm standing on a grave and i'm looking at the headstone and there's david and he's looking at me and all of a sudden i totally fucking freak out because i think that david is the vampire <laughs> and david has brought me to this point at midnight in a graveyard to bite me and i start running away <laughs> And so, you know, and David runs after me. Cut to, you know, finally David ends up saying, I'm not going to feel safe until I see the sun, until the sun comes up. Oh 
we sit on a bench, the sun finally comes up. And then is when we have the discussion about the secret. What do we say? What do we tell these people who have invited us into their home, who have kept us there for a week and a half, who have children? Do, what do we say? And he says, well, fuck, we can say anything, but we can't say that we took acid. I said, David, check that. You took acid. I, 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 you know, I didn't say anything. So uh, he ends up crying, and he ends up, in the end, he ends up saying, and this, I, for me, this is what I, I really remember. He ends up uh, talking about the idea that, that he had lived his life just seeing the normal sense of things, but in the last eight hours, he saw hell. He saw what he thought was hell, and that he was in that hell, and only after the 12 hours, after this acid came out of his system. Now, keep in mind, he took four hits. So, okay. So he comes out of it, and he, he did start to feel better. And I told him, David, there is only one thing you can tell your aunt and uncle. There's only one thing, and that is the truth. You have to tell them the truth. And that's what we did. And they cried, and uh, everybody cried. And in the end of the story is really that for David, I have to say, we had tickets for Ireland leaving in two days. He didn't take that flight. He stayed. He got a job, and he replaced that glass. He replaced the six, uh, 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 well, they're actually panes of doors, doors of glass. And he replaced all of them with the money that he made at the job. And to this day, they talk about that story in England, and they talk about the American lads who came and busted the shit out of this house and stayed and paid for it. And we feel pretty good about that. So, and thank you very much. And I would just leave you with this. I would only leave you with this. If I could go back in time and be the age that you are now, just, you know, okay, I'm 65, but I used to be 22, all right? I used to be your age, and one day, God willing, you're going to be my age. And I, when people tell you, you know, hey, you're thinking, God, you guys are just too fucking liberal. What are you talking about? Don't listen to them. Stick to your views. All right, thank you very much. All right, thank you for the inspiration. Anyone who wants to take acid, we got some in the treehouse up here. That was an experience in itself. Uh, we're gonna do two more and then another storyteller. You go first. Okay. We only have two storytellers left, by the way. So um, here we go. I'm still in love with my high school girlfriend seven years ago. Uh, this one is very simple. It's one sentence. I am not wearing underwear. This one was already opened, so I think that it wanted to be read. Um, and what it says is, I kissed Liam on Valentine's Day. Yeah! <laughs> Beautiful. 
Beautiful. She is here. She's present. Wow. Actually, um, I know this girl, and the one that he told the story about is not here. So that means Liam has two secrets. Uh, okay. Let's see. I don't. I don't think I'm on the right career path. Oh God. All right, so this one's not really a secret. It's more of a shout out to last night's something, Danny's reference, ABV. Okay, I'm glad two people got it. There we go. Um, so our next performer I met on Craigslist. It's true. I was um, searching for a roommate in the Sunset District, 8th and Judah, and I needed a roommate, so I posted an ad on Craigslist, and in the ad I wrote, um, yeah, if you're into music, that's a plus, because I'm trying to build a studio in my basement, so if you can help me with that, you can live down there for super cheap. I ate another secret. Hadn't told my landlord any of this, and it ended up getting rejected pretty flat, and I had to tell the dude who I had picked to move in that he couldn't move in with me anymore because the idea was out the window. I didn't end up seeing this guy till a year and a half later in Golden Gate Park at a slosh ball party. And he had a uh, bandana around his neck and a bottle of Hennessy in his hand. And I already wanted to meet the guy just based on the description I just gave. And I introduced myself to him and I said, what's your name? My name's Christian or McArdle. And he goes, yeah, my name's Dawood. And I only heard that name once other in my life, and it was from a dude on Craigslist that I rejected. <laughs> and so with that, I introduced now one of my really good friends here in SF that I serendipitously met through Craigslist. Um, my boy and companion in music, Dawood Anthony. All right, I want to finish this story that he started telling. Um, does this go any higher? <laughs> so, can this go any higher? <laughs> Anyways, um, he was trying to make a studio in his garage. This is true. This is on Craigslist. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, 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 I got to get into this house. So I... We're having some phone conversations. The man flirting is getting pretty hot and heavy. And I'm really looking forward to this because I love music. And I finally found somebody who will let me sleep in his garage. Perfect. And uh, everything's going according to plan until I find out that he's put this article, this ad up on Craigslist without even telling his landlord. So it just falls through immediately. And so... When I met him, again, I was a little intoxicated and a little bitter. And I remember, funny enough, the day, it was September 7th, 2013. I'm, you know, I'm not, I don't focus on it at all anyways. Um, <laughs> 
And I just remember being so angry with you that I would not call him back when he hit me up to make music after that. He's like, yeah, Yo, you want to hang out, do some things? Yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> but, um, all right. So I need right here. This half, you're going to say something, and this half's going to say something different, all right? Can you guys handle that much? Yeah. Okay, we do this all the time at hip-hop shows. Um, <laughs> So, I need you to say, ayo. And you say, dele. Dele. Joy is in the house. Joy has come home. In addition to uh, our middle name, or in my brother's case, names, my parents gave us African names to go along with the Western ones to be protectors of sorts. And so far it's paid off because I'm pretty sure I'm immune to Voldemort's dark magic um, as a result. There's Ade, Francis, Tabita, Anthony, Jabril, Sinai, Frederick, William, Anthony, I wrote this this morning, so I don't have it memorized. I'm going to consult the notebook, and I'm going to not look so nervous up here, all right? No, you don't have to applaud. Thanks. I work with kids, so I'm used to this, you know, judging me and making fun of me. Um, Dawood, <clears throat> Miles, Anthony. My sister's first name comes from the Ethiopian language Amharic, Ade. 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 Yeah, my dad does this all the time in libations and stuff. He's a professor, by the way, so this will bore you. Um, <laughs> meaning, first flower of spring and has a deeper connotation for being the closure of a bad experience in a family and coming good fortune. The first flower to blossom in my parents' garden. Determined to bloom, to beta, determined. Guided by the maternal light, my mom's mother, in Francis. Jabril, my brother, is named after the Archangel Gabriel and uh, carries himself in a manner that is nothing short of biblical. He, he's uh, if, if you think you might be pregnant with the Son of God, he's going to let you know. He's that guy. And for all the problems he's caused me, he'd still be Sinai, peacemaker. Born at the same time as Frederick Douglass and always scaring my mom with how much she reminds him of the father she had that he's never met, William. Speaking of fathers, my father's the third, and I have been fortunate enough to avoid being the fourth because, let's be honest, Roman numerals are for royalty, Super Bowls, and Final Fantasy titles. <laughs> no nerds in the house, all right. Um, besides, who needs that much pressure? I'd rather be named after the most important jazz musician of the 21st century who died a week before I was born, and if you believe in samsara and karma, it could very well be me. Um, 
Although I'm pretty sure October 5th, funny enough, is the most common birthday. It's like nine months from New Year's Eve. And, but, 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 I was two weeks late, so I know I was a Kwanzaa baby. Um, I'm the beloved, named for my father, his father, and his father. But, like I said, I don't feel any pressure, you know, because Daoud is totally different from David. Totally. And throughout elementary and middle school, I pretty much forgot my name. I was Irish, Dowd. I was part of the small intestine as Duad. Um, um, and even one time Drod. I have no idea how my teacher got that. I don't have an R in any of my names. So I was a little embarrassed of my name, and the one that I couldn't hide behind the middle initial. I was either creating speech impediments or mass confusion just during the most basic of introductions. Daoud? Oh, wow, it's a really interesting name. It's just David in Arabic. Oh, where are you from? Santa Cruz. <laughs> God forbid I make you suffer through two whole syllables, right? <laughs> sure. Call me D. Da. Da da. Ood. Look, I know. The vowel to consonant ratio was all off. Okay? But at least I never had to think about an original rapper name, right? <laughs> and combined with my height, I really make an impression. <laughs> I'm not ashamed of my names anymore but there's still one I play close to the vest. Maybe because it's the one that describes me the absolute best. The name that finds its way into all I do, the same way Daoud reminds me that I am loved and will always be loved. I'll always have the capacity to share that love and inspire those that I come into contact with. Bless you. Love is my home, and I take it with me wherever I go. It's a hell of a name to live up with. Joy is in the house. Ayo. Dele. Thank you. I was on their show one time, and we had a lot of fun. I really hope you listen to it. It's every Saturday from 8 to 10. I listen to it all the time. Can this mic go any shorter? Uh, more secrets, and then a storyteller. The last storyteller. The last storyteller. Mm. <laughs> Sometimes I want to punt babies. They're so cute. Okay. <laughs> cool. Let's uh, let's keep getting weird. Um, I once urinated on a man for money, but everyone's cheering for that. Really? Well, okay. <laughs> Tight. We got a good crowd here. <laughs> but because wow, because he was unable to ejaculate during the event, he declined to pay me. So I keyed his car before I drove away from his house. (laughs) 
This is pretty simple. I'm not honest because I'm selfish. This is really hard to say, but if I didn't say it tonight, I'll never say it. But I am pregnant from someone here tonight. Hope, hope, you, hope you step up and be the man I know you can be. This is getting way too Mari. Oh my God. I don't know if that's real. Is that real, you think? Wow, I have... Okay, here, like at, at a storytelling show, this happens. Like, the, so, someone is like really nervous right now. Oh my God. Okay. <clears throat> I, uh, here's another one. I have drunk someone else's pee. I have drunk someone else's pee and a smiley face. So, they're happy about it. Nice, well while we're in the bathroom, um, when I was 16 and at a party, I pooped in my friend's sister's suitcase. Trying to read this one. Christian, you go first. Okay, I'll go first. Um, I slept with my brother's best friend. I justify not having a romantic relationship with someone I love because I don't want to hurt them when in truth it's me that doesn't want to be hurt. Okay, so our next um, storyteller, I also met on Craigslist. Um, I was um, going to college and I needed an internship and I was you know, searching for one and I found one on Craigslist and now she is my boss. Um, ex-NPR producer and uh, my favorite storyteller and uh, my creative partner at the moment, um, Stacy Bond. I'm nervous. Um, it is kind of weird. I do want to say it's really um, interesting. I'm so surprised that Ellison and I have been working together for so long. He did start as an intern at my production company, which is now our production company. And um, he has worked his way up to a producer. And what we've bonded over is our love of storytelling. Um, my story tonight is a combination of a story about secrets and blatant lying, like Liam did. <laughs> um, there are two things that you need to understand to get the most out of my story. The first thing is that when I was 17 and my younger sister was 14, my parents got us our own apartment. 
my parents were kind of hands-off parents. <laughs> and um, <laughs> we, moved from, we moved from Texas to Florida. And they were having a house built. And they couldn't find an apartment that they felt was suitable for all of us. So they lived with my littlest sister in one apartment. And they got us our own apartment. And I mean, it was across the hall. It wasn't like across town. Um, but it did have a back door. And we had a lot of freedom. And it was kind of amazing to be that young and be able to do just pretty much whatever you want because your parents are really busy with other things and they don't even know when you're coming and going. So being new in town, oh, there's one other thing you need to know about me at this time in my life. I was obsessed with punk rock music. So all I wanted to do was find punk bands to listen to, go dance to punk rock music, and meet punk rock boys. The boys were a pretty big factor in my interest, but I really did like the music too. So I decided, <laughs> I decided, you know, being new in town, that what I was going to have to do is infiltrate the music scene of Safety Harbor, Florida. So <laughs> as you can imagine, it wasn't really a huge music scene. This is also before the internet. And so there were these arcane ways that we would find out about cool music. One was zines, another was um, alt-weekly newspapers, and then the other was guys, and sometimes girls, who worked at record stores. So I made it my mission to go make friends with a bunch of different guys that worked at record stores and find out where the cool bands were and who the cool bands were and kind of figure out you know, what my, my plan was going to be. So I ended up bonding with this one guy named Brett at this record store called Vinyl Fever. And he was really showing me the rope, telling me what the clubs were, what the local band's names were, what was different about their music. And at a certain point, he mentioned something that I had never thought about before. He said, how are you going to get in? And I, I was like, well, I mean, I, I used to go to clubs in Dallas. I went a couple times with friends. Nothing happened. I just walked in. And then he explained about carding and stuff like that. So <laughs> I realized it wasn't going to be as easy as I thought. So he recommended that I go to the Oldsmar Flea Market and get a fake ID. It's a flea market, all right? So I go to the flea market, <laughs> and I buy a fake ID. <laughs> Problem solved, right? <laughs> So then he tells me that the band that he thinks I should start with is this band called Defcon 1. And he explains his reasoning, which is that um, they're popular, but not super popular. So there's not going to be like such a huge crowd that the club is going to crack down and be really vigorous about checking everyone's ID. So he's like, that's a perfect one. The other reason he thought that that was a good band to start with is because they were playing on this particular Friday night at an Irish bar. And he thought they would be more lax. They're Irish. So I was like, OK, this is my mission. So the night in question, I'm putting out of my mind the one kind of negative, which is I have no friends. I don't know anyone here. This guy's not going with me. I'm just going to go by myself, right? So I get as cute as I can. I had a style then that was like kind of mod and punk. So I had like a little 60s shift dress on and like fishnet stockings and um, Doc Martens and giant earrings. And I had an asymmetrical, you know, kind of <laughs> like 80s and 90s haircut with the egg whites that I made some bullets. So my <laughs> hair was, 
I was looking pretty good, you know? So then I get in my Volkswagen bug and I drive 40 minutes to St. Petersburg, Florida. And it actually turns out that there was a pretty good music scene in St. Pete, Florida. And a lot of kind of well-known bands would come play there, like not publicly. They would just kind of come play with other local bands there and experiment with stuff. So it turned out to be really good. But this particular night, obviously, I knew, I knew nobody. And so as I'm driving up to where the club is, I can see all of these people lined up around the edges of the club. And they're all super punk looking and older than me. And I'm thinking, oh my god, this is so exciting. I'm going to do it. But I was also really nervous. So I park, I get in line. I'm standing in line and I'm thinking like, all right, I need to look cool. So I tried to look a little sullen. I wanted to make friends, but <laughs> I didn't want to seem needy, you know. <laughs> so I'm standing there trying to look, you know, cool and older. And I'm eavesdropping on what people are talking about. And I don't know if this happens to you, but there's this thing that happens to me as a creator where I'll put a lot of effort into making something. And then when I'm about to share it with someone else, suddenly I see it through their eyes and I recognize all the flaws. So this fake ID that I had, it is a yellow piece of cardboard that's laminated. And the way that they had done it is it, ha it said name and it had a line. And they had typed with a typewriter my name. And then it said age. And they had typed 22. Because 21 would be really obvious, right? And then it had my address. And they had typed my address in. And then there was a seal. And it was laminated. I don't know why I didn't use a fake name. I don't know why I didn't use a fake address. But I did realize this is a piece of shit. And I'm not going to get in. So <laughs> I started thinking, like, oh my god, what should I do? Should I just, like? This is like so dramatic back here. Um, I started thinking, like, should I just leave? I mean, this is idiotic. You know, they're going to look at this and laugh, and I'm just going to be so embarrassed. But then I was like, no, I really want to hear this band. I was like, it was built up in my head that they were going to be so amazing. So I'm now like one person away. So I decide I'm going to stick it out. And as I walk up and hand the bouncer my ID, it occurs to me, um, I basically had this memory that that came into my mind from like earlier in high school when I, I met this girl who had moved into our school. And I decide that I will use this little memory to distract the bouncer when I hand him my ID by speaking in a British accent. <laughs> so I hand him the ID and then I say, don't you have any English pubs? And then it doesn't sound to me English. Does that fool any of you, right? But this is a bouncer, not a rocket scientist. And so like, as he's about to look down at my ID, he hears me. No offense to real bouncers. <laughs> this, this particular guy, OK. <laughs> Woo! No, um, so, so he starts to look down at my ID, but then he pauses, and he like tilts his head. And he like looks out into the distance and then starts talking about some English bar or pub. And I'm like, oh my god, what's happening? Is it working? Am I like right now like about to get into this bar? He's believing me. And so he's talking. I couldn't really focus what he was talking about, streets that were nearby and whatever. So then finally he hands it back to me. And I am like filled with confidence. I was like, yes, he bought it. I'm in. And so then I stay and talk to him some more. Because why not give him more opportunity to realize that I'm not British? So I said, what's your name then in my fake accent? And he tells me his name is Nick. And then I wink at him. 
and say, I'll remember you. And then I go into the club. And I was like so nervous as I was walking in and my legs were like noodles and I was kind of, for some reason I didn't think to stop and put my ID in my wallet. I thought I had to kind of do it as I walked because that was smoother, but it was hard <laughs> to walk and try to get my ID away. So anyway, I ended up getting in, I got drinks, I had a fabulous time, it was really great. Um, and I met the band and I met a lot of other people to whom I spoke in a British accent. So the whole time I was there, I talked like I was from England. And then when I was driving home, I was elated because I felt so super punk because I was British. So I was like <laughs> very pleased with myself. And I was so excited that the next day I just had to share with my mom that I had gone and met all these new friends and like heard this band. So I tell my mom of this and then she says, that's kind of rude. I mean, we're new in town and you don't take your sister. So, yeah, she's hands off, like I said. So she wasn't putting together that this is a bar and I was underage, like 17, way too young. So um, my little sister's an opportunist. And so she decided then that she needed to go. And so it became this campaign where she and my mom were trying to force me to take my little sister. So my sister and I kind of, you know, we're very clearly sisters. We're from the same family, we look alike. So she was gonna have to learn to talk in a British accent. So we went and rented movies. We watched a bunch of old Disney movies that had this British actress called Haley Mills. And um, we practiced and talked constantly in a British accent around our house. And finally, um, we felt pretty good about how we sounded. I had to kind of channel to get into character. I had to do like a monologue from Pygmalion. And then, um, but I had to do the version of it that Marianne did on Gilligan's Island. So I started out Cockney. So I was like, he taught me how to walk and to talk and to dress like a regular lady he did. And then smashed that down into this like Haley Mills upper class accent. But I felt very British when I did it and very punk rock. So we ended up, <laughs> We ended up going and meeting all these different bands, and this went on for months. We literally had like charts where we were trying to remember which bands thought we were British, and they were friends, and then who didn't. And then we had to come clean after several months because I had this opportunity to have a birthday party with a lot of bands playing, some of whom thought I was British and some of whom didn't. And so I really needed to just confess so that I could have this dream birthday party and turn 18 with a bunch of punk bands playing at my, you know, birthday party. So we decided that we would go to the very first band because they were like a little bit older and we would tell them, um, hey, you know, this isn't true. <laughs> and so I psyched myself up for it. And then we were in the, the car of the lead singer. They were like in their later 20s. So to me, that seemed super, super old. And um, the lead singer and his wife were in the front seat. And my sister and I and two other guys were in the back. And she was kind of sitting on one of their laps, which is really creepy now that I think about it. But um, <laughs> so anyway, we're just all chatting. And then she says, um, hey, we have something to tell you. Like, just like a little sister would, you know, not being chill and waiting until I'm ready, but just like blurting it out. So then I said, yeah, you know, we do, I do need to tell you guys something. We are not from England. And so there was this pause and Lance like whips his head around and looks in the back seat with this angry look in his face. And then he turns around and slams his fist on the dashboard and he goes, I knew it. And that was it. That was it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you, Stacey Bond.
Yes, uh, thank you, Stacy Bond. Thank you, Dawood Anthony. Thank you, Barry McArdle. Thank, thank you, you Liam. Liam. Thank you, Lolita. Um, thank everyone for being here. Um, BFF, the station we work for, actually just won SF Weekly's best radio station in San Francisco. You guys, this is a big deal. I mean, San Francisco has like many radio stations. Um, you know, they're, they're actually on the dial and an, a little tiny, small online radio station right over there beat all of them. So go BFF. Right on. So with that, it's uh, all these secrets that came out tonight. There are some heavy ones. We're going to move the bleachers and the chairs out of the way. So we're going to get the tables, get everything out of here. DJ Caltrain, our DJ for the night. Yeah, yeah is gonna spin some hot buttered soul and uh, let's get a drink and let's dance. Thank you. Ooh, I bet you're how I knew <laughs> your plans to make me blue With some of the you knew before Between the two of us child, you know I love you more It took me by listening to our storytelling event hopefully there will be more um i want to give out a special thanks to noel and the good folks who keep the secret alley running to amanda and forrest the masterminds of bff.fm to our storytellers of course and dj caltrain 
This is Ellison. I will be on a leave of absence for a little bit, but hopefully you'll be hearing my cohort and best friend, McArdle, next week here on... I tune in to BFF.fm, and it was...